In the previous episode, I started talking about time and intimacy and how they accelerate the impact that your positivity, the positivity or negativity that you bring into an interaction has on building trust, your own trustworthiness and the trust that other people have in you. I talked about time and I started talking about intimacy and mainly when I talked about intimacy, I focused on the richness of intimacy and I promise you that I'll talk about consistency and this is what I'll talk about in this episode. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of The Trust Show. I'm your host, Yoram Solomon, a researcher of trust and the author of The Book of Trust. In this educational podcast, I will challenge you to think differently about trust through the eight laws of trust and the six components of trustworthiness. But I will not only teach you about trust, I will also give you actionable advice on how to build trust, be trusted, and know who to trust because the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you and can you trust me? I'm picking up from where I left in the last episode, and that is by talking about intimacy and how intimacy helps or accelerates the impact that the positivity you bring into an interaction have has on your trustworthiness and the fact that other people trust you. What would happen if you only used words? If you only use words, the lowest level of uh, intimacy, then other people make assumptions. I remember when I came to the U.S., my first uh, boss, the CEO of the company, a tiny company I was with, he, he made an interesting assertion. He said, take the word assume and break it into parts. What you would get is when you assume, you make an ass of you and me. Think about it for a second. But that's what happens. That's what happens when you Only use words. I gave you examples in the previous episode of how words can be misinterpreted, especially if you don't use uh, punctuation. I'll talk a little later about the body language of uh, email. But when you don't use punctuation, your words, uh, and sometimes even when you do, your words can be misinterpreted. And when they can be misinterpreted, the other person is making assumptions. The assumptions can be wrong. Here's the deal. The other person knows that the assumptions can be wrong. And because of that, they are limiting the level of trust or or the translation of your positivity into really trusting you because they don't know if they're making assumptions or not. So let's say that you're saying something positive. You're writing something positive in an email and they go, well, this is positive. But really, you know what they're asking? I don't know if this is really what he or she meant. So it sounds good, but I'm going to be a little hesitant from turning that positivity into trust, or at least as much as if I saw you. 
I mentioned in the last episode Albert Morabian, and Albert Morabian is uh, the uh, UCLA, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, professor uh, who wrote the book uh, Silent Messages in 1971 after his experiments uh, in in the late 60s, and he came up with this uh, uh, 738.55 rule of uh, 7% of our liking and our feelings towards another person comes through the words that they use, 38% through their tone of voice, and 55% through their body language. I can tell you that I, I challenge the methodology that he used and how he reached those numbers, but that's not important. Right now, what's what's important is not whether the numbers are 738, 55, or anything else. What's important is the, the principle that we are affected more when we like another person, when we what we feel about another person, we're more affected by their body language than by their words or their tone of voice. However, here is where I want to quote him. He wrote something, actually it's in the introduction to the book. It's, you know, where the pages still have Roman uh, page numbers on them before they start getting uh, the the, uh, one, two, three numbers. He wrote this. When our words contradict the silent messages contained within them, others mistrust what we say. Let me say this again. When our words contradict the silent messages contained within them, others mistrust what we say. So the level of intimacy, a higher, a richer level of intimacy, which is our face-to-face in-person meetings, are a two-edged sword. On one hand, if what we say is consistent with what we the, with the word, with how we say it, with our body language, then people will trust us much faster than if we just gave them the words and help let them make assumptions because they're going to be hesitant from relying on words only. When they can see us, when they can see that our body language, our tone of voice are consistent with the words, they're going to trust us. But when it's the opposite, when what we say and how we say it are inconsistent, they are not going to trust us. Morabian said that. Others have said that. Just think about that. When somebody asks you, uh, do you want to eat now? And your answer is sure. What does it mean? You you use the word sure. Sure says, uh, um, yeah, why not? Uh, that's uh, I Actually, it's way more than why not. I, I would love to. But if I ask you if you want to eat now and you say, sure. The word says yes, really, it's sure, you you definitely want to, but the way you said it, mm, I don't think that that's what you want. So your reaction, if I said that to you, if you asked me if I want to have lunch now and I said, sure, you're going to go, wait, not now? But the word that I used was sure, right? That's what what happens when when we contradict when when our body language, even tone of voice, contradict the words that that we chose to use. Here's the thing: we have very strong control over words that we write. You know why? Because we can edit them. I actually found a new feature that uh, Office 365, I think now it has a, a new name, has, and that is when you hit send. You know how sometimes you you regret hitting send? It actually puts a timer 
and it shows you, and I think this is like a 15 second timer. I mean, it's not hours. 15 second timer that gives you the opportunity to say, wait, stop, no, this, I don't want to send this. But you know, you even have autocorrect, which sometimes cause more problems than, than it uh, helps. But uh, you have the opportunity to edit it, uh, which hopefully more people would do. But before you send, before you hit send, before the timer elapses, if you're using the timer, you have the opportunity to go over it, read it again, correct it, type it. You have very strong control over the words that you write. What you don't have strong control is over how we say those words. Your tone of voice and your body language. Those are more subconscious. Those you have less control over. And as we said before, your body language is a more reliable indicator of what you really mean. Because when you ask me if I want to join you for lunch, and what I said was, sure, you understand that I don't really want to. And that's going to be how you interpret what I said. So let's go back to consistency. And, and let's take, I'm going to give you kind of four, four flows of, of things. Let's say that you don't say what you mean, okay? You have control over the words that you use, but not so much on how you say them. But right now, you don't say what you mean at a high intimacy, which means that your body language and the words that you use are inconsistent. Just like when you asked me if I wanted to join you for lunch, and I said, sure. That's inconsistent. When your body language and your words that you use are inconsistent, people don't trust what you say. So you lose trust. Even though, by the way, and this is kind of the exception to the fact that time and intimacy only accelerate the positivity, this is where you may use positive words. Your answer was sure, but the inconsistency caused you to lose trust even though you had positive. So I'm going to say they accelerate, but they have the possibility, or at least not the time as much as intimacy or the inconsistency of intimacy, have the the uh the impact, the, the ability to overturn the positivity and, and turn it into negativity. So if you don't say what you mean at high intimacy, words and body language or tone of voice, you're inconsistent, people will not trust you. Now, if you don't say what you mean, but in low intimacy, so let's say you're just sending emails, they will make assumptions. They're going to take it at, at, you know, at face value, the words even though you know they can be misinterpreted too, which you have to keep in mind, but the level of trust you will never go beyond moderate, you know, because they 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 have their own self-defense mechanism that holds them back from trusting you too much based on your answer because you, they didn't see you give that answer, and, and you may have fooled them. And by the way, that's the easiest way to fool someone. If you want to fool someone. Try not to be there in person. Try to communicate only over email. And I hope that you don't want to fool anyone. Scenario three is when you say what you mean, but still at low intimacy. So once again, you're only using words. This is a text message, an email message. You have the opportunity to edit it. You do say what you mean, but they still have to make assumptions. They have to interpret. Uh, they, they may 
in their head have the punctuation marks in different places than where you had them. The level of trust is still moderate. Again, we have that self-defense mechanism that's holding them back from trusting you more. But if you say what you mean at high intimacy, it's not just words, they can see you. And what your body language, your nonverbal communications and verbal, the words that you use are consistent, you will be building trust faster, even if what you said is not necessarily positive. You know, when you tell someone, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to have to shut down that project, that's not a positive thing. But if you say it in a way that they feel that, that you mean good, that you're trying to do a good thing, you will actually build trust because your body language and the words that you used are consistent, even though it was a very uncomfortable message to deliver. So this is why I said that high intimacy, a very rich interaction, is a double-edged sword because high intimacy can either cause people to trust you less because you're inconsistent, that's when you don't say what you mean, but when you do say what you mean, you have the highest probability of gaining trust, as opposed to when you have low intimacy, they're making assumptions and you will never go beyond moderate trust, whether you meant what you say, what you said, or you didn't. I want to add something else to the ability to project and to detect body language and that consistency. And those are two elements that, that I incorporated into the trust building uh, mathematical model, at least. And those are expressivity and perceptivity. I'll start with expressivity. Expressivity is how well can you express what you feel? Some people are very hard to read, not because I'm hard in reading people, it's because they do not express themselves very much. If you're Mediterranean, you're probably ranking very high on expressivity, but not all people express themselves as intensely as others. So everything I talked about in, in how intimacy can accelerate positivity turning into trust really depends on your expressivity, your ability to convey body language that will be interpreted as consistent or hopefully not inconsistent, but it depends on your expressivity. On the flip side of it, not all people are very perceptive. Not all people can read between the lines. Not all people can see how you say things and go, I don't think that he or she said what they the words, they, they were not consistent with the words that they used. You have to be perceptive and different people have different levels of perceptivity. Typically, people on the autism spectrum, that's one of the biggest challenges they have. Their ability to perceive, to get those social cues and they may have a hard time interpreting them. So, the dependency, the, the relationship, the correlation between intimacy and uh, in terms of richness and, and the ability to detect consistency or inconsistency between nonverbal and verbal communications depends on one person's expressivity, the ability to express themselves through tone of voice and body language and not just the words. And, and frankly, even the words, the words themselves. Some people are more expressive with words and others not so much. 
and the perceptivity of the other person, the ability of the other person to read not only the words and understand, you know, the dictionary grammatical uh, interpretation of them, but to also be able to interpret your nonverbal cues, your nonverbal communications, and determine that consistency or inconsistency. I want to go even beyond body language. In 2004, Paul Zak did a study. And so to, to set this up, I'll explain that in our brain, if, if you go uh, inside the brain, kind of in, in the middle, lower part, there is a little gland called the hypothalamus. And the hypothalamus is responsible. It's kind of pea-sized gland, and it's responsible for delivering, uh, generating, and injecting six different hormones one of them is called oxytocin. And the study in 2004 that Paul Zak has done used 194 participants. Uh, I believe they were all uh, students in college. And split them into a test group and a control group, not telling them, obviously, who's the test and who's the control group. And 24 of them were... Uh, injected into their nose, so they were sprayed into their nose 24 IU, 24 units of oxytocin, and the other half in the control group were sprayed into their nose really placebo or nothing, nothing really. So all you know is something was sprayed into your nose and uh, you just don't know if it was oxytocin or placebo. Then the play, they played the trust game. The way the trust game works is I'm going to give you $10. You need to give the other person part of the $10, whatever that part is. I mean, you can decide to give them nothing. You can decide to give them the entire $10. Whatever you decide, the bank will triple it. So if I gave you $10 and you decided to give $5 to the other side, to the other person, the other person would get 15 Not just 5 would get 15 because the bank has tripled it. Then the other side needs to decide how much they're going to give you back. Now, if you want to maximize this game, give the other side the entire $10. Now you're left with nothing, but that got tripled. And the largest number gets you, you get is if you triple the entire $10. The other side has $30, but here's the deal now. You have to trust them that they would give you some back. Let's say at least 10 so they will make you whole because you really started with 10. You held the 10 in your hands. But maybe they'll give you 15 because they want to be fair. And I talked about fairness in, in a previous episode. So they played the trust game and they wanted to see if oxytocin made the people who got the $10 and decided how much they're going to give the others trust the other side to give them more back. Those who got oxytocin on average, gave the other person 18.5% more. On average. Uh, the median was they gave the other person 25% more than those who got the placebo or really got nothing. It's, it's even more uh, impressive to know that 45% of the participants who got uh, oxytocin gave everything to the other person. And so in terms of giving everything, the entire $10 to the other person, 
that's 117% more than those who did not get oxytocin. Obviously, now the question is, uh, is it that they trust them more or is it that they're willing to take more risk? Because that could have been another interpretation of what happened here. So what they did was a second experiment. In the second experiment, the second participant was actually not a person. It was a computer and it was a random number of how much they're going to pay back. So you decide how much you're going to give the computer, anything between zero and, and 100%, or 100%, which is the, ten, the entire $10. Computer randomly will decide how much to give back. So your risk tolerance is the same. The element that goes away is trust because you don't trust the computer because the computer does not have any emotions, does not believe in fairness or reciprocity or anything like that. There was no statistical, statistically significant difference in how much the first person gave the second person between those who got oxytocin and those who got placebo. With that second test, what Paul Zak was able to do is to split this group or, or to split the, the, the finding that oxytocin increases trust and not the risk profile. Why is this important to, to our context, in our context? I want to read to you from an article that was published in 2018 in uh, Psychology Central, Psych Central. In humans, oxytocin is thought to be released during hugging, touching, and orgasm in both genders. In the brain, oxytocin is involved in social recognition and bonding and may be involved in the formation of trust between people. The formation of trust between people. So when I talk about the level of interaction, the richness of interaction, of, of intimacy, think about face-to-face, -face, think about body language, and think about touching. And no, I'm, I'm not proposing sex here, but think about touching the other person. When you shake a hand, when you give a hug, you actually build trust. And Paul Zak gave a TED Talk just about that, which I would encourage you to watch. There is another uh, element, a, a higher level of uh, intimacy, if you will, that can affect the building of trust, and that's what I call life-altering events. I was once giving a uh, talk about why is there so much innovation coming out of Israel, and one of the reasons that I found is that in Israel, military service is mandatory. Both my wife and I have served in the Israeli Defense Forces. Serving in military under very strenuous circumstances, I, I served in 35th Airborne, and uh, you can imagine that those circumstances increase the intimacy that you have with another person. I remember once hearing a story about someone who was in a tornado and held on to a tree and the bond that it created between her and the other person who shared that experience. Life-altering events have significant impact on building trust. It's, it's the intensity of the situation as well as the level of richness of communications. 
One more thing that I'll talk about, actually a few more things. One is video conferencing. I would always prefer to have a video conference over a phone call because a video conference, and you know, especially during the COVID-19 when we were all wearing masks, I would prefer to watch you over Zoom and see your entire face and all the muscles in your face that I'm so sensitive to interpreting than if we are face to face and all I see is the mask and your eyes and only a few of the muscles in your face. So video conferencing is not as good. One of the reasons it's not as good is because of, of the technology itself, the fact that the camera is above the screen and when you see me, you see me look at the screen instead of the camera and the impression that you have is that I'm not looking at you, I'm looking at the screen. And when somebody looks away, you trust them a little less. This is why we always say, look me in the eyes because we believe and we're probably right Then when you look me in the eyes, I have a better chance of determining whether your body language is consistent with what you say, whether I should trust you or not. Another type of interaction is unilateral interaction. Unilateral interactions are interactions that only go in one direction. So for example, I'm sending you an email. Even though you did not respond to my email, there is a certain level of trust that you have built in me. Or, or a certain level of trust that you have in me, I should say. The same applies to a newsletter, to an article that I publish. I publish articles, I publish books, I publish videos. I'm even publishing this podcast and I may not know you. And so I cannot trust you more than I did before I started recording, but you will be able to trust me either more or less at the end of this pod podcast episode than before because you were exposed to me, even though it was a unilateral interaction. The, the reason that, that it's less than having a bilateral interaction or, or a bidirectional interaction is because the intimacy is really lower. You, you don't have an opportunity to ask questions. There is no real interaction. There is no real reaction. You can't say something and see my reaction that would help you decide if you should trust me or not. It's lower but it's not zero. So there is a certain level of intimacy that will accelerate building trust based on the positivity that I brought into that, even though it's one-way interaction. The last thing that I want to say is that even email does have body language. And I started by talking about, you know, punctuation and capitalization and things like that. But those are things like how you start your email. Do you start with hi? Do you start with dear? So dear Yoram and, and so on. Uh, is this kind of a standard letter, kind of bulk message? Uh, what are the actual words that you use? Do you capitalize? Do you use all capital? What do you think when somebody uses all capitals in an email to you? That they're angry, right? Punctuation, where the, the commas and the periods are, three question marks in a row, three exclamation marks in a row. What do they mean? You're angry. You, you can convey things. Dot, dot, dot. Oh, that was a joke, right? Emojis, emoticons, uh, being short and brief is typically considered that you're annoyed, whereas being verbose or very long-winded means that you're happy, typically. Being very formal and precise versus being very friendly and using kind of more of slang. Other things. And, and it's also important that you have established a baseline of the other person 
and you know their communication style because you're going to be a lot more sensitive to changes in their communication styles than to their communication style in general. This is it for time and intimacy. I'm, I'm still, I, I can't believe that, that it took an hour and two episodes, but let me summarize it. While positivity sets the direction of whether you will be more or less trusted at the end of an interaction, time and intimacy accelerate it. We trust people and things that we spent more time with. Time has three components. I talked about the length of interactions, the frequency, and the rhythm or predictability of the interaction. Intimacy has two components, the richness of interaction, so from email to face-to-face -face and even touch, hug, handshake, and the consistency. Do your nonverbal communications, are your nonverbal communications consistent with your verbal communications? So the longer, the more frequent, the more predictable the interactions are, the more you will be trusted. The richer, more face-to-face -face your interactions are, the more you will be trusted, but only if your body language is consistent with your words. Because if it's inconsistent, this is going to be the only time when the intimacy itself does not accelerate positivity, but it actually turns it around. You will hurt trust, even if your positivity was, well, positive. You do have strong control over your words, much less control over your body language. And for that, the way to achieve consistency of your nonverbal communications and your verbal communications, and therefore be more trusted, is to say what you mean, even if it's not something the other person wants to hear. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll make sure to answer it or find the answer to it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. That's Y-O-R-A-M at thetrustshow.com. If you like this podcast episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get new episodes. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings would help others who are looking for a podcast just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my online course at trustedatwork.com. Find my books on Amazon or go to my website, yoramsolomon.com. And remember one thing, the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening.